Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a series of author-hosted podcasts uh, distributing literary content to a worldwide audience. I'm your host, Landis Wade, a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here. Very quickly, before we get to the uninterrupted interview today, a few quick words about some of the benefits uh, for our listeners. Number one, we have show notes uh, for every episode uh, with images, links, and information about our authors at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And number two, if you're into audiobooks, uh, we have a relationship with Libro.fm, which supports indie bookstores. If you sign up with Libro to get your audiobooks and use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER, You'll get an extra audiobook free. Number three, if you go to charlottereaderspodcast.com or my personal website, landisway.com, and you sign up for the book report, you're going to get it every other Tuesday. And here's what you'll get. Recommended readings, author interviews and videos, reading and writing tips, doses of inspiration, a free ebook by yours truly, and more. We won't spam you. That takes way too much time. And finally, we've got a lot of great content we put out on our exclusive Patreon channel. If you like what we do here, uh, that is our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, and you'd like to help us uh, defray the costs of this project, you can jump over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, and you can tap into all the great extra content we've got that's curated by our authors and me about uh, their writing lives and the craft and business of writing and other things too. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the uninterrupted story of our guest and the one they've written. Hey listeners, uh, welcome to uh, this edition of Charlotte's Podcast. This is actually our guest host edition, the first that we've done. Uh, we're going to be doing in 2021. We're really excited about this. Uh, we ha- we're having guest hosts uh, come on. These are authors who have appeared on the podcast in the past and who are also supporters of the podcast who, who have a lot to add. And our guest host today is Kathy Pickens. Uh, she appeared on the podcast uh, to talk about uh, and read and discuss her true crime books. Uh, she has been under different names, a lawyer, a business professor, a university provost, a clog dancing coach, a church organist, choir director, and a typist, uh, just a, a varied variety. She, she, she's an award-winning writer for a mystery series, but her most recent work is Create, Developing Your Own Creative Process, uh, a six-step guide to developing your individual creativity, a roadmap tested and enthusiastically endorsed by hundreds of workshop participants from those who already define themselves as creative to those who didn't yet. And I attended a class that she taught on that, and I've got her book, and I, I recommend that to you listeners. But uh let me tell you, too, who she's going to be interviewing today. This is part of our author conversation. Uh, we're excited to have A.J. Hartley also writing as Andrew Hart. Uh, uh, and uh, he's the best-selling author of 23 novels for adults and uh, younger readers spanning multiple genres, notably mystery, thriller, fantasy, and science fiction. And today, uh, they're going to be talking about his most recent book, Impervious, a fantasy thriller about a young girl 
whose normal day at school is upended, propelling her into an unfamiliar world of magic, monsters, and danger, and forcing her to try to save herself and her friends. Uh, so with that, I'm going to turn the uh, audio steering wheel over to uh, Kathy Pickens. And uh, Kathy, uh, take it away. Thanks, Landis. Uh, I'm really excited to, to talk about this book, Impervious, today. AJ, this is an unusual book for you, but all your books are unusual each in their own way. Um, I really like how you have um, visited lots of different genres and age groups. One of the reader reviews online for Impervious said, it reads like a, a young adult urban fantasy until it doesn't. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that's a pretty good description for an unusual book. Um, C.S. Lewis, in, in one of his essays in the book on stories, said that stories start for him with an image or started for him with an image. Um, he said, often that image contains emotion that prompts the writer. So did this book start for you with an image or images or emotions? Um, and what, where did that initial spark take this book? Um well, it, it, it's complicated, <laughs> and and this is an unusual book for me, uh, as you know. Um, and it actually began a number of years ago, uh, at least as a the the germ of an idea, uh, and it was something that grew out of books that I'd read years ago, um, particularly a novel called Pincher Martin by William Golding. I don't know if you know that mm. book. Um, which I read, I don't know, 30 years ago or more, 40 years ago, probably. And um, uh, it, it's a story in which you're forced to reconsider the entire narrative when you get to the end of the book, right? Where a world that you thought was real turns out to be in some ways not. And this had always seemed to me a, a fascinating, compelling kind of idea for a, a story. And I've always loved seeing those those kinds of narratives, not just in books, but also in TV shows and movies, where something that you think is real, you gradually realize is in some ways uh, some sort of delusion or a construct of, of either the narrator or a character. And I had been thinking about this in the context of writing a school shooting novel. Um, and I'd been kicking around this idea in very vague general terms and, and never quite figuring out how I wanted to do it. And then, uh, you know, a little over a year ago, as you know, um, I was involved in a school shooting at UNC Charlotte and that changed the, the narrative, the project that had been sort of on the back burner that had existed as a sort of vague outline that I'd revisited a couple of times. The story that I wanted to tell became something quite different, but it also became a story that I felt I, I had to tell, uh, partly because I felt sort of trapped by the experience that I'd had. Uh, I had been sort of sheltering in place with, with students um, while the gunman was on campus for about two hours while we waited for word to find well, well, basically while we waited for the SWAT teams to come in and clear the building um, and make sure that we were safe. And at the time I was quite calm and composed. Uh, and of course I was, you know, in, in a sense, the grown up in the room because I was with students. 
So, you know, uh, that lends its own kind of composure to a situation like that. But after the fact, it took a, it took me a couple of days to realize that I was actually, you know, not okay. Um, and I started having sort of curious, panicky moments of, of, of sudden anxiety and stress and which is not like me. I'm usually fairly even, even keeled. And I, I kept having this sort of, this, sorry, this is a very long winded answer to no, your question, no, but perfect. if there's an image, it was the image of being stuck in that dressing room, you know, sitting there listening, everybody with their phones muted, everybody sitting in silence, l listening to see if we could hear somebody coming, you know, and that was the image that kept coming to mind. And so I thought, you know, this is the time to go back to that story idea, to rethink what it was and, and actually write the book. And I knew how the book was going to end from the outset. Um, though that was, though sticking to that ending was difficult in some ways. Mm -hmm. mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, in reading this and in knowing the backstory and knowing that you were there that day about a year ago, um, I was struck by this. I knew lots of people who were in New York City during 9-11. And there were a lot of writers and artists for whom, of course, as for everyone who was there, was a traumatic experience. And, and they, of course, wanted to turn that to their art. And so a lot mm -hmm. of people found themselves writing about this in one form or another. And I'll, I'll be honest, I, I didn't necessarily think all those attempts worked so well mm -hmm. in fiction. Almost, I don't know if it was, they were sticking too close to what had happened. It was too fresh. It hadn't had time to incubate enough. So as a writer, I'm fascinated to hear you say, well, I had had this germ because I think all of us have those things that we've been the seeds planted, we're watering it. Nothing's come up yet, but we like it a lot. We know it's going to be great when it comes. That you had this seed for this, and and it was very close to what actually happened. But what is fascinating me about this book is that you took it to. It wasn't a literal place, but it was a figurative place. It was it was urban fantasy, as that reader reviewer said. Um, what it talked to me about what um. You let the reader explore this from a different perspective, a very difficult place. It was difficult for you. It was difficult for the students there. But you allowed the reader to explore what happened in a very different way. The story is not, the most of the book is not literally what happened. Talk to me about the creative choices that took you to, to take this completely out of its time and place. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a difficult book to talk about in some ways because, as you suggest, the reader experience of it is quite different from the way that I'm speaking about it. And yeah. I'm trying not to give too much away about the way the, the story actually evolves because, you know, I, I do want readers to, to go on that journey without an absolute definite sense of, of what's happening and what's going to happen. But, you know, from the outset, I... I I thought I wanted to do a book that involved that was about gun violence in a sense, but wasn't an issue book. And that's what happens sometimes, particularly with with young adult fiction, when you approach uh, 
a particularly charged idea or a, an idea that is that has political valences of some sort, and it immediately gets compartmentalized. Uh, it goes on a mm-hmm. particular shelf. It gets taught in a particular way, and it's often digested as a kind of medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, where where nobody particularly wants to read it. Um, but they feel obligated to do so because of the issue at the heart of it, you know. Um, and then, and, and I think people, the way people respond to a book like that depends on how they feel about the issue. Uh, and I, I didn't want to do that. And not just because, you know, there have been books written about gun violence before. Um, and I, I didn't, I, even though it was a cathartic process for me, I didn't want to simply inflict that on other people. I didn't want to sort of say, you know, you're in this situation and this is how it feels. Uh, and, you know, I, in in my past, writing both for adults and for kids and, and young adults, I've often written fantasy and science fiction. And and part of the, the thing about science fiction and fantasy that I've always found appealing is that it gives you a way to approach issues and ideas obliquely. You know, mm-hmm. that the, 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 the medium becomes a kind of a slightly distorting lens uh, through which you can see the material uh, that you're talking about, but not in a sort of one-to-one um direct representation but through a way that 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 magnifies it or colors it in some way that 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 makes it an adventure of itself um and allows the issues and ideas to become subtextual um so that hopefully we get caught up in a different version of story and to me this is as you know i'm a shakespeare professor and it's a it's an old idea. I think Shakespeare does it all the time. When Hamlet talks about hold, holding up as twere the mirror up to nature, that as twere is kind of crucial because it's not mm-hmm. saying that that art is a direct reflection of life, which obviously Shakespeare wasn't doing. He, he's showing something that in some ways resembles nature or life, but is tweaked in some way to foreground um, whether it's character or world or ideas uh but but make magnifies and 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 transforms so that the reader then gets to go on a a journey of some sort uh that doesn't feel like simply conventional reality um whether that whether that works (laughs) you know is another question entirely but it's what i wanted to do and and it goes back to that sort of pincher martin type storytelling where um where you're enjoying a story or experiencing a story and then having to gradually reassess what it is and rethink, you know, the core of it. I, I like the as twer. <laughs> That's a lovely uh, yeah. image to, to see. Um, would you, would you read a, a bit from the book? Sure. On Charlotte Reader's podcast, we always like to hear the writers on words from the writers. So. So this is near the beginning of the book, um, and uh, it's just the the main character, Trina, and her father um, after school. How was school? Trina's dad asked as soon as she got into the car. Fine, she replied. The usual. Got into a fight with some kid in the hallway because I was in his way, jackass. A fight fight? asked her father, suddenly anxious. She shook her head. A squabble, she clarified. He was rude, so I was rude back. 
It was a whole big high schooly scene and was over in about 10 seconds, probably less. You had trouble with this kid before? Never even seen him before. He just came in all, you're in my way, she said, putting on a snobby voice. And I was like, excuse me? And he was all, I have a permit. I think I get it, he said, pulling away from one of Main Street's three sets of traffic lights. Yeah, well, he just made me so mad, got under my skin. Why? Trina shrugged. Don't know, she said. Made me feel stupid. Guilty somehow. Guilty? For what? I don't know. Getting in his way? Being alive? Who knows? She shrugged again, emphatically this time. Since her father had become the sole parent, he tended to get over-anxious about her well-being. It was sweet, but could also be exhausting. She followed up the shrug with a cheery grin. Otherwise, yeah, school was fine, she concluded, hoping that would be the end of it. Lunch okay? he asked with a half-smile. Trina grinned. Yeah, she said. There'd been peanut butter and celery, a banana and a raspberry yogurt. There was a wrapped thing of string cheese, but no dried apricots. He was obviously making an effort. Thanks. Good, he said, satisfied. Got a lot of homework? Not too much for a change. I said I'd do an extra shift at Jimmy Jack's to make up for yesterday. Ah, uh, yes, said her father dryly. The incredible plate juggling adventure. How about we try and avoid a repeat performance? On it, said Trina. So if you don't mind dropping me there now, I can be home by eight. You going to eat there? I'd rather eat with you if you don't mind waiting, she said, knowing it was what he wanted to hear. Before returning his eyes to the road, he flashed her that old, familiar smile of his, that one that made her feel young and grateful. She didn't see it so much these days. When he thought she wasn't looking, he seemed to drift off into, what, memories, probably, things that had been good but now made him sad because they were lost and irretrievable. She got that. Package came for you, said her father, nodding to a parcel the size of her fist. It was wrapped in brown paper and jutting out of the open glove box. Trina drew it out, frowning. Her name and address were hand-lettered in unfamiliar blue writing on the front. The package was roughly taped and she had to pull hard at it to rip a seam along the edge. Inside was a black jewellery box and a single sheet of cream-coloured notepaper with the same blue writing on it. Trina, it read, this belongs to you. You will understand. A friend. She cracked open, cracked open the box and pushed the sprung lid back. Inside, sitting on black velvet, was a necklace made of fine silver chain from which a tiny sword hung. In the center of the hilt was a minuscule blue stone. Cool, she said. Looks like the destiny blade from Phantasm Three. From what? A video game, she said absently, holding the pendant up and watching the way it flashed in the light. Who sent it? Her frown returned. Doesn't say, she said. Jasmine or Candice? Trina shook her head. It wasn't their writing, and Jasmine would have said. She feared she wasn't sufficiently on Candace's radar anymore for gifts, but she didn't feel like explaining that to her dad. Secret admirer, said her father, grinning. Trina flicked him on his arm and made a revolted noise, but her eyes were still on the necklace. She replaced it and closed the box. Not going to put it on? Maybe after work, she said. Jimmy doesn't get to see me try out jewellery. Her dad grinned at her sideways. That's right, he said.
Okay, what you've just done is set up the book um, in ways that the reader can't possibly know as, as it starts. And, and I have to say, one of the things that, that struck me, because when you're, you're you have written a book with, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know any words that aren't bad words, but just a really startlingly good, strong, kick, you know what, heroine. Mm. And in writing this, and this in this thing, you show this incredible sympathy, the tear between growing up and not quite wanting to, and losing thing people that you love, and and not have knowing how to deal with it, and all the things that that ten second little squabble in the hallway is so magnified um, for Trina at that time, and later magnified for the reader but she is an incredibly strong heroine mm. um in in a very realistic honest vulnerable way where did she come from oh, um that's one of those really good questions which is so good that it's almost impossible to that's answer good. Okay. <laughs> um, i don't you know i don't know uh I can see her in my head, but I don't know where she came from. And this, you know, as usual, of course, there'll be parts of me in her reimagined. Um, you know, a number of years ago, I started doing a lot of uh, school visits and such for, uh, I had written a middle grade series that I wrote originally for my son. And that actually was what led me into writing middle grade and young adult as watching my son get older and, and wanting to write books for him. And of course, that meant spending a lot of time with with younger people. Um, you know, I, I I don't know how many school visits I did in the Charlotte area over a few years, a lot. Um, so, it, you know, it's possible that somewhere in, in those stories, I actually met Trina, but I don't recall her exactly. Oh, oh well, that's a cool answer. Um, you know, I was sort of thinking about Harry Potter showing up on the train one day. Mm. <laughs> she probably showed up in your classroom one day. Mm. Uh, the the visits were for the Darwin book. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Those are terrific. Again, adventure stories for middle grades, and so it's nice to see how how your son growing up brought us some books to to a, an older audience. Mm. Um, in in this book. Because she is such a kick, you know what heroine. Um, there are some terrific fight scenes, and for an awful lot of writers, I know because I've been in workshops where they've asked these questions. Um, fight scenes are hard. They're hmm. hard to write. They're hard to envision. They're hard to get to where they're believable. Um, how is that for you? I mean, you are a theater professor. Does that help you? Does it make it worse? <laughs> I think it helps. Okay. I, I think it helps because. You know, it, it does mean that you you spend a lot of time uh, thinking about storytelling in physical terms. You know that that uh, often what happens in a scene is as much about bodies as it is bodies as it is voices, and the sort of the orchestration of movement and 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 things like that. Um, I, I've also done a little bit of uh, uh, combat of one kind or another. Uh, either in stage fighting or I used to, you know, I fenced for my university back in the early 14th century. Um, and uh, um, You don't get to do that here. <laughs> You're just <laughs> how unfair. Yeah. Um, 
but I, I think, you know, I, I remember um, hearing Ken Follett talk uh, once, um, and his his I think it may have been his first thriller, The Eye of the Needle. I don't know if you remember that. It was oh, a gosh, yeah. a Second World War uh, spy adventure, um, and there was a particular fight scene in there, and and I I remember hearing him say, you know, people kept coming up to him and saying how great that fight was and how 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 gripping and, and compelling and realistic it was and and he was laughing about it he said well, you know i really got away with one there because when he he had absolutely no idea how to write a fight of a, a, he he said before writing that scene so he made a list of about, I think it was like 14 things that you could do to another person and then just put them all in. <laughs> and that was how the fight evolved, you know. Um, but I think that often with with fights uh, in, in books particularly, there are there are a couple of ways to go. And it, it, some of it is about point of view. It depends how close you are to the characters. Um and I think I learned something about this when I was writing my early sort of fantasy epic kind of adventures, uh, because I think one of the mistakes that writers do sometimes is that they try to make you see absolutely everything. So the whole thing starts to feel very choreographed and studied um, and you can visualize what's happening, but you lose any kind of emotional intensity. And the truth is that if you've ever been in a fight, unless you are very, very skilled, most of it is a blur of panic and terror, right? Um, and you're barely conscious of what you're doing, let alone what the other person is doing. Um, and so I think, you know, sometimes less is more with fights, that, that, that when you're writing that kind of thing, the important thing is to stay in the head of the character, if that's where you are, if it's a first person or a very limited third person narrative. Obviously, it's a very different thing if we're looking at it uh, sort of objectively from, from a distance. But if we're close to the character, getting that sense of the feel of the moment in some ways is more important than knowing exactly what I'm doing with my left hand and where my right hand is going. And right. Um, so it, it's finding that balance between giving enough information that we can see it, but not giving so much that we don't feel it. I think that, that, that's good. And, but you've also done something else. I mean, I, I, you've written from a female point of view um, with, with Trina's character, you've been mm. in her head. And we see her vulnerability as we did with her in that conversation with her dad. But we also see her great courage. Mm. And to me, in reading that, understand the context in which you wrote the book, that's what enlivened it for me, was that we're not passive. Mm. That, that there are actions to take and things we're called to do and sometimes they're difficult. And I couldn't think of a better character to convey that to readers of that age group. Thanks. I, I think, you know, th th there's sort of a dodge in the book in that, you know, initially, and you get a, a reference to it in that passage you just read, she's represented as, as actually quite awkward and clumsy. Mm -hmm. The necklace changes that. The necklace mm -hmm. makes her elegant and uh, graceful and strong and and capable, particularly with with blades, with swords. Um, and so, part of her experience in the fight 
is her own amazement at her competence. Mm-hmm. You know that uh, when when she's actually involved in these these combat situations, she seems her body seems to know what it's doing. So there's a kind of split uh, between her her regular self and her and and whatever this new self is that she has been sort of co opted by or transformed into or something. Um, and and that I think plays with the idea which is central to the book, right? That that Trina is a fantasy buff. She's into mm-hmm. novels. She's into video games and movies and TV shows. And so, in some ways, the story enacts the fantasy of becoming a hero, mm-hmm. um, of seeing yourself in these things, right? Seeing yourself in Buffy the Vampire Slayer or whatever. And then being put into a situation where there's a a rupture between the logic of of those fantasy stories and the logic of reality, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that was one of the things that I wanted to play with the idea that I think people often secretly fantasize about being in precisely the situation that I was in, and how they would handle themselves, and how they would, uh, uh, you know triumph over whatever uh you know black-hatted villain was was in that situation and and the truth is that it often doesn't work that way and not just because you can't uh you don't have the the strength or the the courage to do the things that you think you'll be able to do but even when you do have that strength and courage things don't always work out mm-hmm. um and you know uh, again I don't want to give too much away about the story but one of the one of the guys who was killed at uncc um riley howell uh has subsequently been commemorated in a in a star wars fiction he's been sort of his name has been applied to one of the jedi knights because he was a big star wars fan and he sacrificed himself quite literally um in that situation to try to stop uh, the gunman. And um, and I read something about uh, his father talking about seeing his body and seeing the, the wounds um, that were all inflicted at different distances. Sorry. But the point was that, you know, he was hit multiple times, but he kept going, getting closer to the gunman in order to try and uh, disarm him. The the thing that struck me in reading this, and now listen to you talk, and my voice is going to break too, um, neuroscience research tells us that we are hardwired for literature. We're hardwired for story. Because we need that as a mental training ground for the emotions and the situations that we find ourselves in, whether it's a love story or it's a puzzle solving mystery or whether it's an action adventure, Mm -hmm. we, we may not encounter, as you say, we may not encounter those things and they may not, um, we may not be called upon in the way that we've imagined, Mm -hmm. And the ending may not be the one we want to write. Right, right. But we all need that training ground 
which is why I like this heroin so much. You gave us one heck of a training ground mentally to understand what heroism and courage looks like, even though when we see ourselves, we are not up to the task. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that blending, I think, works incredibly well in this story. Thank you. Um, so thank you. As you say, the, the stories prepare us for, for these, in, in some ways, these kinds of situations. They also do the opposite, right? That, that uh, as you know, maybe that was truer when we were sitting around campfires chasing mammoths. Uh, and, and now most of us live fairly sedate, mundane kind of lives where that sort of life and death, uh, the enormity of, of those moments, most of the time, thank God, is not part of our daily existence. And so the story then becomes, in some ways, a surrogate for that kind of intensity exactly. of experience. Exactly. But we still need we still need to awaken those transmitters. Mm. So that's, somehow we're hardwired for that. Mm. Yeah. fantastic. So thank you for, for giving us that. I'm going to jump in now <clears throat> for a second here. Um, this has been a great conversation. I want to thank uh, AJ and Kathy. Uh, th- this has been a guest-hosted uh, edition of Charlotte's Podcast, guest-hosted by uh, award-winning author Kathy Pickens. Kathy, great job today. Thank you. That was and, great fun. Yeah, and also, AJ, uh, just a couple of things about his book here. Um, I've noticed that uh, he's gotten some good good press, uh, even though we are in the time of COVID and it's hard to get out there on the road. But uh, <laughs> Faith Hunter, a New York Times and USA Today best-selling author says this is a story where reality and unreality are braided together until the very last page. It hit me in the gut. A must read. Uh, AJ, congrats on uh, those good words. And also we want to thank you for participating today in this, uh, in this episode. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and listeners uh, stay tuned because we got something really exciting here. We're doing in 2021. Uh, we're going to continue this conversation. Uh, Kathy and I are going to, take AJ to a different platform. It's our listener supported platform, uh, a Patreon platform, where we're going to talk about uh, a couple of things of interest to both Kathy and me, uh, thriller writing and writer identity. And uh, you can find this uh, this platform by going to our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. And there you will find a page called Patreon. And if you click there, you'll find out about all the episodes we put up in 2020. We have over 30 episodes talking with authors about the craft and business of writing. And we're going to have even more in 2021. So hop over to that platform. By the way, it's only $5 a month and you get all this content. If you want a tip, you can do $8 a month, but really you don't have to. For five bucks, you can get all this content. And uh, if you jump over now you're going to uh, and sign up, you're going to hear uh, us talking with AJ about two very interesting topics. So for that, we're going to, we're going to wrap for today. Uh, Kathy, AJ, uh, appreciate you. Be- oh, before we go, um, uh, Kathy, since you're the host, tell tell uh, listeners where they can find your new book, Create. It's it's most of the places you buy books. Parkway Books here in Charlotte has it, and certainly online resources have it. So thank you. Yeah, and AJ, you've written a lot of books, and uh, including Impervious. So where's everybody going to find your books? Uh, as Kathy says, uh, you know, hopefully wherever books are sold. Uh, I know Impervious is at, at Park Road. Um, and of course, you know, the usual, uh, online BMFs. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and is your accent there too? I mean, when they read that, do they hear your accent? Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and do you do audiobooks, AJ? Do you have audiobooks out there? I Everything I have is out on audio. Um, Impervious, I think, will be out by the time this airs, yes. Okay, great. All right. Well, great. Well, uh, thanks, Boti, and uh, thanks, listeners, for giving us some of your uh, valuable time today. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.